When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The future cinematic landscape might be a little uncertain now, but it is a simple fact that there are a bunch of big movies pretty much just done, and fingers crossed they'll come out over the next year or so. And these following movies in particular are amongst some of the most exciting on the upcoming slate, but the issue is we do have a few legitimate worries about them. Now, I don't want to be cynical, and I hope all of these movies genuinely do turn out great, but going into them, at least from what we've seen pre-release, we do have a few valid concerns. So, I'm Josh from WhatCulture.com, and these are eight major concerns from upcoming movies. Number eight, Natasha might come back from the dead, Black Widow. Black Widow, amazingly, is set to be the first MCU movie released for the better part of two years. And if the film's marketing can be believed, it's essentially intended as something of a prequel to give Natasha Romanoff, aka the Black Widow, one final send-off after being killed in Avengers Endgame. Now, though many suspect that Florence Pugh's character is primed to take over the mantle of Black Widow in upcoming movies, there's also a rumour and a bit of a fear doing the rounds that the end of the film will somehow conclude with Natasha Romanov and Scarlett Johansson back in this franchise for good, being raised from the dead. And while this certainly would please some fans, to others it would only reinforce the nagging issue they have with MCU's approach to stakes in general, namely that a lot of the characters who die in the series don't stay dead. And when death has no finality, it's hard to care as much as you should when someone supposedly dies for good. And given that the deaths of Natasha and Tony Stark in particular are a few of the most concrete in the entire universe, it would, in my opinion, be better for Kevin Feige and co to only bring these characters back sparingly in flashbacks as cameos. With Chris Evans' retirement from the MCU seemingly over as well, if recent rumours are to be believed, we don't want to undermine all of the closure that Endgame brought to these OG heroes. Especially when we haven't really had that time to mourn Nat in particular. Number seven, the 163 minute runtime, no time to die. Bond fans are absolutely chomping at the bit to get their eyes on the upcoming and much delayed no time to die. And though the particulars of the movie's plot have been kept tightly under wraps, considering that it's Daniel Craig's final outing as the hero, there is one thing we know is set in stone, and that's the runtime. No Time to Die has been confirmed to clock in at a hefty 163 minutes long, which is 15 minutes longer than the second longest movie in the franchise, Spectre, so it's a pretty big beast. Though I think runtimes aren't inherently bad by any means, I mean I was just talking about Endgame which was really long and also really good, when it comes to this franchise in particular, the longer these movies go on, the more bloated 
they can seem. I mean, I just said that the second longest film was Spectre, and while that has a lot going for it, it certainly is a pretty bloated mess, especially in the back third. Then again, while I'm saying this, Quantum of Solace is also the shortest Bond film, and, well, that's not good either, so maybe the sweet spot is somewhere in the middle, maybe around the 120 to 130 minute mark for this franchise. Of course, I'd absolutely love to be proven wrong, and I want No Time to Die to make use of every single minute of screen time that it's been allowed, but in an era where so many of these big budget blockbusters are so indulgent and getting increasingly lengthy, sometimes a bit of restraint or a few edits here and there are indeed welcome. Number six, the protagonist is an original character, Mortal Kombat. It was recently confirmed that the upcoming Mortal Kombat remake slash reboot slash adaptation of the video game will indeed star an original character as its lead protagonist. He's an ex-MMA fighter named Cole Young, and he's been mentored by Lord Raiden and is going up against the villainous Shang Tsung. Though actor Louis Tan is an undeniably talented martial artist, not a single Mortal Kombat fan was asking for an audience surrogate character when the roster has so many iconic protagonists that the filmmakers could choose from. Now, I do want to point out the fan theory that is going around, which suggests that this character might not be an original creation at all, but might actually be Johnny Cage, a new and reinvented version of the iconic video game character. After all, Johnny Cage is conspicuously absent from the cast list so far. Now, of course, that is just a rumor, and this inclusion overall feels a bit strange, because otherwise the filmmakers have been going on and on about how they're wanting to champion the source material and do fans justice. Number five, it could be a soft reboot, The Matrix 4. Of all the blockbusters due for release in 2021, none are as shrouded in secrecy as The Matrix 4. It wrapped shooting back in November of last year, and we still don't really know anything about what the plot is other than it's a sequel to the original Matrixes. However, it is easy to expect the new movie, simply titled Matrix, to be some kind of soft reboot, just like so many of these franchise revivals have been in the past. By a soft reboot, or I guess a rebootquel, what I mean is a movie in a franchise designed to act as a direct continuation of what we've seen before, but simultaneously kind of give us a reboot of the whole thing, introducing us to a new generation of characters, while making the previous protagonists and villains supporting characters rather than the main attraction. Think The Force Awakens or Independence Day Resurgence or any big sequel that's dropped over the past 10 years. So with this in mind, it's probably reasonable to expect the likes of Carrie-Anne Moss and Keanu Reeves returning to usher in a new generation, like I've just said, introducing the new actors while taking a step back from the plot themselves. Hell, they might not even show up until two-thirds into the movie or something like that. That's, of course, assuming that they survive this movie, because I don't even know how they're going to treat Neo and Trinity. They're both technically dead, yet they're back. What? What's happening, Matrix 4? Anyway, you would hope that the follow-up to one of the most inventive sci-fi movies of all time would be a little bit less cynical than this, but this formula has worked for the studios in the past, and I don't see why one of the big studios would deviate from this formula. I mean, I hope, I hope they do. I hope they give us something unique and original, but this is a worry. Number four, James Wan isn't directing. The Conjuring, the devil made me do it. Of all the worries on this list, this one is the most founded. That's because director James Wan was absolutely instrumental in birthing the Conjuring franchise as we know it today, having directed the first two main movies in this franchise. And after so many crappy spin-offs, it is easy to forget just how good those first two Conjuring movies actually were. And James Wan, and more specifically, his control over how to tell a horror story was absolutely essential 
crucial in making those first two movies so good and resonate with fans so much that they could spawn this entire franchise. It sucks then to know that he isn't coming back to direct the third Conjuring movie. Now, a switch in directors on a big franchise like this is far from the end of the world. I mean, nobody's complaining that James Cameron took over Aliens after Ridley Scott, but it's the choice of who is replacing James Wan on this movie that makes us worry a little bit. That's because it's Michael Chavez who's directing this threequel. Now, Chavez might seem like an obvious candidate considering that he has worked on this franchise before, but the issue is his one directing contribution to the series was The Curse of La Llorona, which in my opinion is the worst of the spin-offs, even worse than The Nun, and The Nun was bad. Now it is important to note that James Wan is still producing the movie, but his name has been attached in a producing role to a lot of pretty terrible horror movies in the past, so it's not necessarily a sign that this is going to be much better just because his name will be in the credits. Now, as a genuine fan of this entire series, it does not bring me any joy to talk about any of this right now. And I really am rooting for Michael Chavez to pull it out of the bag with The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It. But at this point, I think I'll believe it when I see it. My expectations are not very high. Number three, the original cast probably only have cameos, Ghostbusters Afterlife. At a glance, it seems that the upcoming Ghostbusters Afterlife is being pitched by Sony as something of an apology for 2016's Ghostbusters reboot, which I actually quite liked, by the way. I thought Ghostbusters 2016 was all right, but I understand that a lot of people just wanted to see a proper Ghostbusters 3. Consequently, while little is known about this upcoming movie, we do know that the original Ghostbusters will be making a return in some form. It's been confirmed that Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, Sigourney Weaver and Annie Potts will reprise their roles from the first two movies, though how long they'll appear in the film itself is anyone's guess at this point. And tellingly, none of the legacy cast has been featured in the marketing up until this point. Now, this all lends credence to the idea that Murray and Co. might not even turn up in the movie until deep within the third act, essentially as cameos to help out the new heroes face off against whatever evil they're fighting. I mean, just think about how much some of the cast members, <coughs> Bill Murray, have pushed back against the idea of doing Ghostbusters at all in the past. And I know, I know Jason Reitman is making this movie, obviously the son of Ivan Reitman, who directed of the originals, which no doubt would have had some sway on the cast members. But still, it is easy to see the original Ghostbusters only turning up for something of a glorified cameo. And to be fair, I don't completely hate this idea because if the film can stand at its own two feet and succeed with its original cast, that is great. But for anyone going into this expecting a proper Ghostbusters 3 with the original cast members as the headlining acts, I think we might be a little bit disappointed. Number two, it could be 2021's biggest bomb. Dune. Right, I want to make one thing clear before I jump into this properly. I'm sure Dune is going to be awesome. Hell, I'm sure it's going to be a bona fide triumph. I believe in this movie's chances of success. Well, I believe in its critical success, because while director Denis Villeneuve hasn't made a bad movie yet, Dune is far from a sure bet when it comes to box office success. Hell, even before Warner Brothers decided to release their entire 2021 slate on HBO Max day and date, Dune's commercial prospects were dubious at best, even if it pains me to admit it. After all, it's a mega-budget adaptation of a deeply, deeply weird sci-fi series, and when Hollywood tried to adapt it decades ago with David Lynch's version, 
yeah, I know, I still don't believe that happened. It did not go down particularly well. Villeneuve's brand of sci-fi filmmaking isn't that commercially friendly either. Even if I think that allows him to make better movies, it doesn't allow them to resonate with the widest possible audience. I mean, Blade Runner 2049 is one of the best, biggest, epic sci-fi films in the past 10 years, and yet that disappointed at the box office despite having the Blade Runner name. It only made $260 million, which just about covered its budget, but probably didn't even recoup its marketing. And while Dune is an anticipated movie by movie fans, I mean, just jump on any movie forum and you'll see people raving about how they are excited to see this flick, it doesn't have the same pull that Blade Runner did, and Blade Runner was still a disappointment. Consequently, similar numbers to Blade Runner will probably prove to be similarly disappointing, and that sucks, especially when this is being envisioned as the first part of multiple movies. There's another spanner to throw in the works as well, though, and that's how Warner Brothers is even gauging success in the new HBO Max model. The simultaneous release on streaming will undeniably impact Dune's box office, as well as everything that's going on right now. And who knows what WB is going to consider successful in this brand new climate. Maybe they'll just think a movie like Dune is too risky and ultimately can the sequel because it's a lot of money to invest when the chances of getting a big return right now are just, they're not that high. And well, yeah, you could say that box office doesn't really matter right now when WB is focusing on building HBO Max in terms of subscribers. Dune might pull in a lot of subscribers, but it's gonna take a hell of a lot of them to justify spending this amount of money on this franchise going forward. And again, listen, I said none of this with any joy in my voice. I wanna see Denny Villeneuve be given millions and millions of dollars to go crazy and make whatever the hell it wants, but I just, I just don't see how Dune could be this massive mega hit in the world we're in right now, and that sucks. Number one, there won't be a clear winner. Godzilla vs. Kong. If there's one general constant of all of these versus movies, it's that there's never a clear winner. Typically, these films end with the two entities that are fighting each other teaming up to battle back against an even bigger threat. With Godzilla vs. King Kong, though, the filmmakers are insisting this will change. The trailer is claiming that one will fall, and director Adam Wingard is insisting that his film will indeed have a surefire winner. But the worry is still there, specifically that this is all just a marketing spin to rustle up interest and get us watching this film in the hopes that someone is going to come out victorious. And that's because the rights holders to these big IPs are rarely ever in the game of letting their guy take the fall. There's just too much on stake to them. It is a, potentially a little bit childish, but they don't like seeing their big star get beat. However, it is perhaps more plausible that one of the two titans will fall, but not by the other's hand. Instead, they might sacrifice themselves in a climactic fight against the real villain, wildly rumored to be Mechagodzilla. Yet this still could be done in a way that leaves their fate ambiguous and allows them to return for future movies. So as refreshing as it would be to see either Godzilla or King Kong be triumphant and take the other down for good, it's far more likely that we'll see some kind of cop-out where both are left standing in one form or another, by the end. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.